welcome to another episode of the Women in Agile podcast series. I am your host, Renee Craven, and today we're chatting with Sam Liang. Sam is an Agile coach, and her motto is to be brave. Sam embodies this by taking on challenges one small step at a time. I really enjoyed talking to Sam and hearing her stories of what she's noticing in the world of Agile today. I especially loved hearing her story of her recent professional growth and how that's resetting her approach to coaching. She's definitely living out her motto in this story. We hope you enjoy the episode. Sam, welcome. Thank you. Good to be here. Lovely to have you today. Um, Let's start with the first question. How did you find Agile? I found Agile in 2008. Um, I was kind of like a team lead on a software development team. And it was a high stakes project and it was horrible. We were working crazy hours. And along came this, this scrum course by Boris Glogger, or Glogger, not sure how you pronounce his surname. And he's very entertaining if you've ever met him. He's extremely entertaining, lots of stories. He, he likes dressing in bright orange, so imagine that. Um, and he kind of blew my world apart. I, like, I, I felt like I had taken the blue pill and I arrived back at work and I was like, this agile thing, the scrum thing's going to save us. It's going to rescue us. And I proceeded to create the perfect plan for two week waterfall iterations. <laughs> and I thought I was, I thought it was genius and it, it did help, but it took me a few months to realize that the point wasn't doing waterfall in two week iterations the point was something else. And once I realized that and started really playing with it and seeing what was appropriate, then my life kind of changed. I became a scrum master. I changed jobs. I just headed off in that direction. Nice. Yeah. What was, what was it about scrum that you learned in that course that you liked that resonated with you? I think a big part of it was just not doing these huge chunks of work for months and months and months on end. Like we would have like a six months analysis phase and then all these beautiful documents kind of got thrown over the wall to the developers who were split into two teams, the front end and the back end. And they would just go off and work through these documents and then five months later or six months later, there would be this thing called integration hell where the front end and the back end try and get their stuff to work together. And of course, nothing works because the developers did whatever they thought was right and they didn't talk to each other. So then we're delayed going into testing because we can't get our stuff to work. So then everything gets hacked together so that it just, just works And then everything gets thrown over another fence to a group of testers who have no context, don't know what we were doing, can't make sense of anything we're doing. And months later, they throw over, throw back over like a bunch of bugs that everyone then scrambles to fix. And it was just horrible and a complete nightmare. Like you'd have stuff come back to you that you worked on a year ago and you can't remember what you were doing or how you were doing it. And. Yeah, it was horrible. 
And so what the course brought to me was, it doesn't have to be this way. You can do things differently. You don't have to work in these phases. You can just do something small and finish all the parts, including testing, in two weeks. And that was mind-blowing. Seems silly now. Now it seems really obvious. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, uh, uh, how has that shifted from a scrum perspective? How has that shifted for you over the years? What's your favorite thing about scrum now? I wouldn't say it's scrum specifically, but I think what agile in general has brought to me is this, this sense of nothing has to be this huge, big project and nothing has to be a hundred percent done to be done. In fact, 90% of the time, 80% is just fine. And that takes, it doesn't take 80% of the time. It usually only takes half the time. So just work on something until you're happy with it and then move on. It's okay. Mm. And I think I bring that into all areas of my life. Everything I do, I think like that now. I don't, I don't think of this has to be perfect to be done anymore. Mm. What was it like for you? Where do you think that came from, the everything has to be perfect? Um, probably fairly driven at school, have to get A's, have to have top marks, um, have to be the best. So possibly all those drivers, their parents think they're doing awesome things for their children doing that has led to years of baggage I've had to shed over time. Didn't help being a project manager for a while where you always try and get the perfect plan and the perfect timings. It's just horrible. Yeah. I remember being fearing that red pen, like red pen's bad. You've failed or you've done something wrong if you see that red pen and now it's give me more red pen, please. I'm not going to learn if I just have you know, A's and ticks and all of that sort of stuff. I, I want those, that, red, that red pen, please. Yeah, it's a very different mindset now, which I hope schools have adopted. <laughs> yeah, me too. Me too. Um, what have you observed about the role of women in the Agile community over the years? <clears throat> so you prepped me for this question. <laughs> and I've been pondering it because I was like, what have I observed? And I'm not sure if if I've observed it or if it's just because I lived through it as a woman in Agile. So I think what I noticed in the beginning, being a Scrum Master, the assumption was that you would be like the team secretary. You would do all the meetings, all the, I don't know, whatever the team didn't want to do, the documentation, the all the boring stuff, which is not what any Scrum Master should be doing. <clears throat> but also there was this, this sense that you were the team's protector and you were like the team's mother. And you would protect the team from everything, which... I also don't think is true, but that's how it started for me. 
Um, I think you have to learn really, really quickly that whilst you may come in and that's what the team needs, your job isn't to make the team dependent on you. It's to make the team independent of you and to continuously strive to work yourself out of a job and not be the team's mother figure. Hmm. Um, so, so yeah, it's not, not really woman in agile, more what I've noticed as a woman in agile and how I've changed and grown. Hmm. Yes, that's, that's interesting. I've never heard Scrum Master referred to as a mother, but um, being a Scrum Master, you know, starting out like that myself, I kind of guess that's the word you could put to it. I always could have sort of thought secretary definitely, babysitter was another thing that I felt sometimes. Like, I'm not your babysitter. What do, what do you think you should do? Um, so yes, very, I, I like that mother, mother figure. Yeah. Kind of, I don't know, the maternal instinct. So caring and nurturing for the team and, you know, I don't know, cleaning up after the team the whole time. And it's just, <laughs> no, a little bit of that is good, but if you do too much of it, that's bad. Mm. So what advice would you give uh, any scrum master, I was going to say female scrum masters, but any scrum masters where they feel like they're being treated as the mother of their team, what advice would you give them to shift that? I would probably ask them if they plan on being with their team for the rest of their lives or if there was other stuff that they want to do, were interested in. And if they were, that they should start to figure out how they can help their team be independent. So what are you doing for the team that they could be doing for themselves so that you can go on leave? You can be sick for a week and the world doesn't grind to a halt. Those are important things. Mm. Yeah, like it. So the topic that you've chosen today is uh, what is Agile today? Yeah. Based on what we've just kind of spoke, we've already started to explore it a little bit. Um, what does it mean to you today? Uh, I'm going to pause on that mm -hmm. and first talk about what, what I've been noticing. So in the last mm -hmm. few months, I've um, I put together a research report um, for the Business Agility Institute. So I had the privilege of interviewing quite a few different companies all over the world on how they do Agile, how they structure the Agile coaches, and how they work within their Agile teams. So do they work with teams? Do they work in business units? Um, do they flit around? Are they dedicated? Those kinds of things. Hmm. But at the same time, I was also interviewing for a new job. So I had a lot of actual job interviews with different companies and got to hear a lot about what they were doing. And 
a couple of months later, reflecting back on it, there, there are an awful lot of companies that are trying to find the perfect way to do agile. They, spend, they have spent millions of dollars and years figuring out what will make it perfect. So like a couple of years ago, possibly more than a couple, I'm getting old, so maybe like a decade ago. And, and COVID's thrown it out as well. Yeah. Everything <laughs> was the Spotify model, right? It was yeah. the new shiny yeah. standard of this is how we should do Agile and 10 million companies copied it and tried to make it work and some had some success and some had failed completely. And most recently, I think it's safe. The the amount of companies I interviewed with that are just starting with SAFE or embarking on SAFE or have been doing it for a couple of couple of years, I was amazed. I I couldn't believe there were so many of them doing SAFE. So that sounds like the new shiny. And having experienced it in a few companies, like I joke that quarterly planning is actually quarter full. It's like waterfall, <laughs> but every quarter. And it's a complete nightmare for, for a week. Everything is just chaos. No one, no one knows what's up or what's down. Everything is just up in the air. It's a mess. Everyone's stressed out and exhausted. And then everything calms down again. And then three months later, it's rinse and repeat. And it just, I don't think this is what Agile's meant to be like. It just doesn't feel true. I don't think there is one perfect way. I think there's hundreds of perfect ways. And it totally depends on your context and culture. And what's perfect today might not be perfect in a year's time. But I think we've lost that inspect and adapt part of Agile. Instead, we try and find the recipe. And if the recipe doesn't work, we find a new recipe. We don't tweak the recipe to see how can we get it to work with our very weird oven. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, um, I, I was going to ask you actually, <laughs> I've heard it referred to as quarterfall. What do you think about that? And then you mentioned it straight away and I'm like, oh crap, that's my question. But I think the other part of it is the those quarters um, are ignoring the different types of work that a business unit does or a team does. So they're putting these frameworks in to organisations. Um, like you said, <laughs> kind of they're not ignoring the context but they are ignoring the context at the lower level so they're still trying to make it one way across an organization and you're right ignoring what agile was is supposed to be and being able to adapt and get that feedback and it's okay if one team works differently to the other team and it's okay if how you do it today is different you know a couple of months down the track I think um, quarterfall plays into that part of us that wants to have the perfect plan, right? Mm -hmm. so every three mm -hmm. months we can have the perfect plan that's mm -hmm. beautiful and shiny. And 
to be fair, I have seen it used for good. So I did work at a company where things were chaotic and the direction of the company was changing every two weeks, depending on who had a dream the night before. And what the quarterly planning did was bring calm for three months so that people could actually work on things and all the dreams would only come into every quarter, which is great. Mm -hmm. But even there, within two or three quarterly planning sessions, we realized that it's better if we actually spread this out and start doing continuous planning instead of quarterly planning. But continuous planning with a horizon in mind so that we don't inject that every two weeks, we shift everything around again. So I have seen it used for good. But there's just something, there's just something there that makes me feel like we've we've lost the inspect and adapt and we're trying to plug and play another Spotify model or safe model. Hmm. Yeah, I agree. Um, they're very popular in Australia, the, um, especially safe, the, the number of jobs that um, I get notified about that have be safe you know, could be safe qualified or have safe certification or whatever those, whatever they are. Um, <clears throat> it's quite like, well, no, I don't have those, but here's my experience is, is that okay? <laughs> um, and a lot of, a lot of organizations are just kind of trained to know this is how we do it. You, we, you have to do it how we do it. Um, and, and as a coach, that's, that's kind of, challenging because as a coach I like to instill that learning that inspect adapt that learning into organizations and um what a question that I had for you um especially uh, you know I read your article it's called connecting coach to business need um and I could resonate with all three kind of those three kinds of coaches that you had um or that you identified one of the questions I had for you um, in your, you know, conversations, did you ever find, did you find that there was a lack of, um, you know, acknowledging capability and building capability in teams and the roles within these frameworks um, versus just kind of a delivery heavy mindset it's hard to say <clears throat> most of the most of the research for that was purely around structure mm. not around how the teams interacted with the teams a couple of a couple of people did talk a bit more about how they worked with teams and i think in general most agile coaches want to help teams succeed and they they want to grow in this field and become really good agile coaches and in some organizations they start with safe and that's how they start their learning journey and that's okay we all started somewhere and we will all pick up different parts of different frameworks at different times in our journey i i wonder though in particular with with safe because it's so expensive to 
install it in a company. I wonder how long companies will hold onto it for even when it's not actually working for them. Um, I mean, we saw that in the beginning with Agile and Scrum, like a few teams would start using Scrum and if it didn't work, it was quite easy to drop and forget because mm. it, it wasn't that, it didn't affect that much of the organization or that many people or job titles or roles or anything like that. But SAFE is quite a chunky framework. And so it's that sunk cost that you're dealing with. Like how much have we, how much money have we spent on this versus how much is it actually giving us and how, how are we, we going to stick to it because we paid to stick to it or are we going to adapt as our company needs it to adapt? And that's the part that I'm finding hard to understand. Mm. Mm. Your dogs sound like they're really enjoying this. Ears. <laughs> At least they're not barking. That was the whole aim. <laughs> Keep them busy crunching. <laughs> Just in case the listeners are wondering what that noise is. <laughs> Sam's keeping her three dogs. Did you say three dogs? Three dogs. Three. What kind of dogs are they? Uh, a miniature Dachshund. A miniature Dachshund cross with something furry. <laughs> and a terrier crossed with I think a staffy or something like that they're all rescues so it's hard to tell yeah yeah all know how old they are yeah well these <laughs> these ones we all got as puppies so we kind of know okay did you get them all at the same time no we got them one year apart dun, dun, dun. <laughs> get out of that puppy phase before diving straight back into it I know I know <laughs> Um, just back on your article, what was the most, what was the thing that you were most surprised about in all your conversations? I think I was pleasantly surprised that, that there wasn't one way to do it all, that mm. the large organizations all do it differently. And when I say large, I mean, organizations with hundreds of coaches, not scrum masters, at hundreds of agile coaches. Mm. And they all do it differently. They don't, not one of them had a pattern they were following to a T. Mm. And that, that made me smile because I think that's good that there are so mm. many different ways of doing this. Although there were, there were patterns and you could see that similar things in different organizations, but it wasn't because they were doing the Spotify method. It was something that for the most part had evolved. And I would say the majority of them was still evolving. So we were talking about what they were going to try next because it's still not exactly how they wanted. And yeah, I thought that was really mm. good. Mm. That's good. So let's uh, look into the future. <laughs> uh, what you can pick your time frame, whether it's five, ten years, or whatever. Um, where, where, if you did your, um, you know, your research for your article research paper, where do you think agile agile will be in the future? 
Hmm. Where do I think it will be or where do I hope it will be? <laughs> Let's do both. <laughs> Uh, one of the things that also surprised me was the number of agile coaches. Um, I didn't expect to see such high numbers in so many organizations. And also there's been a shift over the last decade to companies getting in a couple of um, contractors as agile coaches to most of the companies we interviewed the contractors were all full-time, ah, the contractors, the agile coaches were all full-time. And I think that shows a kind of a, a respect for the role and for what coaches can bring to an organization and to teams. And so my hope is that in the future, we see a lot more of this coaching role happening in companies that it becomes the norm that you've got a coach to speak to about whatever it is that you're struggling with. That coaches are freely available to help teams or meetings or specialty groups or anything like that. Um, that's what I would personally like to see. Mm -hmm. um, Reality, I think that might be happening in large corporates already. I think smaller companies will always struggle with that because it's seen as a, a nice-to-have role, not something that they have to have, and so they can't afford to have it. Um, I would love for them to realize that it's not a case of afford to have it. It's a necessity for you to continuously be inspecting and adapting and learning that someone's mm. there to help you continuously learn and to push you to do that. Because learning is difficult, right? It's frustrating. But it is so rewarding. Mm. But as humans, we tend not to lean into discomfort. We like, oh, we err. We're away from discomfort. So it's really good to have someone there that's constantly helping you lean into that discomfort and helping you learn and find different ways of doing things and possibly better ways of doing things. Mm. Mm. Very true. Do you think organisations know or understand what a coach is? I definitely think some do and a hundred percent know others don't. Um, yeah, I, I think it varies from, well, we've hired you to come in and fix something. And it's mm. like, well, I don't really fix things. I help you fix them. I don't really own the outcome. I help you own the outcome. And I think that that is really hard for companies, some companies to understand. But then there's other organizations that are very used to having coaches around. And so it's easy for them to understand the value you bring. Mm. 
Yep, I agree. You mentioned before that you were, you know, interviewing for roles at the same time as researching. What do you look for in organisations? How do you know it's the right place for you? Honestly, those interviews were, they were so funny because interviews are just horrible, man. They're just stressful for everyone (laughs) involved. Like if you're in an organization and you're doing interviews, you hate them, right? They're taking time Mm. out of your day. There's so many candidates. They keep coming through. Some of them are just useful. Some of them are useless. So they're a waste of your time. So you don't really want to be in the interview. Then you've got this candidate that arrives and is fairly nervous and you're quizzing them on stuff and you're misunderstanding and miscommunicating with each other. I'm 100% sure there has to be a better way for interviews than the current process because it was just terrible. (laughs) Then there's also, there's some companies that have like, there's five interviews you have to get through. And each set is with a different like area or part of the company. And honestly, as as the candidate being interviewed, it is very confusing. Mm. It's also the assumption is that all your attention is on this one company and that you wholly involved with this company. But in reality, I'm interviewing with 40 different companies. So I'm getting information thrown at me from all over. I can't Mm -hmm. keep straight everything that's going on in the one interview stream. So yeah, it was, it was not a pleasant experience. Um, I would say what I was looking for was to build a rapport with the people interviewing me. And it was amazing that some people could do that in an hour and others just couldn't. It, like some people would just be reading off a script. They didn't actually care what your answer was because they mm. just needed to get through their script. Mm. And others didn't have a script. They had a conversation. They wanted to build rapport. And that was more what I was looking for. It's always a, a gamble, right? You you don't know. Mm. Oh, well, I like that person. Does that mean the whole company is like that? <laughs> yeah. Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> mm. Um, what do you do for your own professional growth, Sam? So, what I'm currently doing has nothing to do with my professional growth as such, but it has everything to do with leaning into discomfort. Um, I'm building an office slash sleep out in my backyard. And like any good agile coach, I figured it's the first time I'm doing this. I know nothing about working with wood. So I'll get an expert to guide me, kind of like pay programming. I'll get an expert to guide me and help me every step of the way. But I'll do most of it myself. So I thought I'd lined up a builder to help me do this. And that turned out not to work at all. So after having built the base of the cabin, I was on my own. 
And I was like, okay, what do I do now? Do I do I call another builder? This this is not so easy. Tradies aren't that easy to come by. So I bought a set of plans off the internet. And of course, the plans weren't specific to the size that I was building and didn't have the door and the window I wanted or anything like that. So there was a lot of inspection and adaption happening. <laughs> and yeah, my wife and I built it over weekends whenever it wasn't raining. And we're almost there. I'd say, I'd say we've almost got the outside water tight now. But it's been extremely frustrating. Like screaming, throwing toys frustrating at certain times. <laughs> I have watched more YouTube videos than I'd care to remember <laughs> and realized everyone does it a different way. So I can just, the whole time I'm going through this process, I, all I do is think about people doing agile and then they, yeah. they start with agile and they're like, oh, well, I'm not quite sure what to do in this, this meeting called a, called a retrospective. Let me YouTube what other people do. Oh, like 20 people do it all differently. Which one am I supposed to do? I don't understand. How does it work? <laughs> so yeah, it, it's, it's been interesting because I, I, I feel like I, I've really been feeling people's pain. Like I now go into organizations and I'm like, I'm a very kind, gentle soul because I <laughs> like I know I know it's hard. I understand that this is difficult. <laughs> We're just gonna try something and see if it works. And it's okay if it doesn't work. <laughs> it's okay. We'll we know how to fix it. That's why I'm here to help you. <laughs> nice. So it grounded you as a coach. Yeah. Yeah. Um and you said it's almost water tight? Almost. <laughs> I guess you just wait for the rain and find out whether there's a leak and fix that bit. <laughs> oh no, I know there's holes. <laughs> I'm well, I'm well aware of where the holes are. <laughs> I just can't get to them just yet. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, that's lovely. That's very impressive. You're built. You're teaching yourself how to build. Yeah, learning a new skill that's mm. very much not in my wheelhouse. I was not taught this at university. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. All those all those practical skills that might come in handy one day. Yeah. Um That's yes, very nice. Uh what else do you do for your professional growth? I read a lot. Mm -hmm. Um but I tend to not read not anymore really, uh like agile books. I tend to find areas that I'm noticing and read books in those areas. Um, and I'd say over, over COVID, a lot of that was in the self-care area. So how to, how to take care of yourself and others, how to, how to be more caring and understanding, particularly in a, a remote distributed world. Mm. So I've done, a lot of reading and research into that, which is, has been very interesting. Mm. I think that's what got me to build the cabin in the first place. It's just a, you actually need something to distract yourself. That so You need something outside of just work. Mm, absolutely. 
yeah. And to the extent of you need something that is so outside your comfort zone that you can't think of work because you mm. have to pay 100% attention. Mm. And I think that was important for me. I don't think I've done that in the last, probably the last eight years. Right. I've done easy things, but like work has always crept into my thoughts whilst I was doing them. Whereas when I do this, I'm completely and wholly focused on it. Mm. So you can tick the box I've built uh, structure. What are you going to do next <laughs> to do that, to have that kind of mindfulness about something? Well, no, there's still a lot of work to be done. <laughs> this is like a typical project where, where I'm like 60% done and the last 40% is going to take just as long as the first 60%. <laughs> and I plan on skipping the last 20% because it's just never going to be perfect. Yeah. <laughs> um, so there's lots, there's lots still to be done there. And like any good software project, I have a looming deadline, which is someone's coming to stay in it in four weeks' time. So got to be waterproof. <laughs> Waterproof and a mattress on the floor. Yeah. <laughs> but it's it's also like any good learning project, it's opened up a world of possibilities. So I now feel more confident building things with wood. And mm. now I want to do more. Now I want to explore that and do do more in that field, do mm. build other structures and create other things. So it's given me kind of a creative outlet, but also a new skill to use that I'm excited to use. Mm. Wonderful. Yeah. Love it. Uh, any final wisdom you'd like to share with our listeners? I think I'd like to say be curious. That there, there isn't one way to do Agile. There's thousands of ways to do agile and if something is just not working for you just be curious go and talk to other people and hear what they've done and how they do things and try different things because I mean the chances of the first thing you're finding working for you are, are so slim so just be curious and experiment inspect and adapt that's, that's how it should be. That's what makes it fun. Mm. Lovely. Thank you, Sam. Thank you for your time today. It's been great talking to you. Thank you. It has been wonderful. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Women in Agile podcast series. It is brought to you in partnership from the Women in Agile nonprofit and scrum.org. We hope you've learned something new and invite you to tell a friend or a co-worker about the podcast Please go online to womeninagile.org to learn more about our initiative and find more inspiring podcast conversations.